Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of You Press Play Sports. I'm your host, Richard Pereira, and joining me today is sports editor Cameron Priester and staff writer Zachary Watts. Hey, guys, um, how's it been going this past week? All's been well. Um, you know, our sports are doing extremely well. I've picked up the pace a little bit. I know men's basketball um, just got back home from our road trip, so they're probably glad to be back. Uh, women's basketball playing is just as well. And then for our national sports, you know, everything seems to be turning in the right direction. So a lot of things to talk about. Excited to get into it. You're on mute, Cameron. I'm doing okay as well. Like Zach said, uh, most of the teams are doing uh, well. And there's some good national sports news to talk about from this weekend. So I'm ready to get into it. All right. So definitely a good week for men's basketball as we'll start off with them. Um, they th This past weekend, they had a little trip to Texas playing two games against UTSA and UTEP. It took both games by convincing margins, 83-64 against UTSA in a blowout, and then a 67-59 victory over UTEP. Uh, while the score was relatively close, it was mainly because of some officiating that went UTEP's way as they got a lot of free throws as a result, but Luckily for the, for the Owls, they come out of Texas with their winning streak still alive at 18 in a row as they have a 19-1 record at the moment and undefeated in conference play with a 9-0 start. So, guys, uh, what are your thoughts on how the Owls played these past two games? Well, the mental toughness aspect um, usually goes kind of undermined, but it's extremely difficult to go – I think before even the Texas road trip, they were at Western Kentucky. It's not easy to spend that many hours on flights. It's not easy to spend that much time traveling without seeing friends and family. You're spending a lot of time in hotels, just in places you're not necessarily comfortable in. But what I've started to notice is ever since that North Texas game, we've been winning games by a lot more comfortable margins. You know, usually we'd get like two, three point wins. Now I'm starting to see wins by double digits fairly easily obviously we still have some difficult games remaining but to get in that groove of just winning games in a dominant fashion that just goes to show we're getting more comfortable as the season goes on and it, it feels like we haven't hit our peak yet as for the games themselves you know i feel like the biggest person that stepped up um janelle davis he's done extremely well in that texas road trip i think he had 20 points in the first game and 14 in the next leading score in both games so he played exceptionally well Obviously, we're playing great team basketball overall. A lot of guys getting double digits, uh, a lot of minutes off the bench as well. Um, we're just playing solid team basketball, which is obviously we can't reiterate enough as the season's gone on, but it's it's been a pleasure to watch. Yeah, no, on that uh, three-game road trip they had, they look great. Um, this team is just, like Zach said, so mentally tough on the road, and then it's, it's great because getting – the wins in these tough games here in January is going to be so important, not only for like a resume standpoint, but um, winning those tough games, like in the conference championship, you know, when you're playing, like have to win like four straight games in an unfamiliar environment. But yeah, they just continue to look great every time they step on the court. Looking at um, UTEP, I think they defended the three probably a lot better than they have. It's kind of in the conference play, it's been kind of a, one of the few lackluster standpoints, but um, they did very well with that against um, UTEP. Held them to, I think, here at 18% all night. And UTEP's not a fantastic uh, team from three going into that game, but um, 
either way, it's it's great to see them kind of um, improving that aspect a little bit. Um, heading into Middle Tennessee, you know, just want to see them continue more of the same things, playing team basketball, um, getting started early, shooting the ball well from three from early on, trying to get um, ahead early on. Um, but yeah, it should be an interesting matchup. It looks like uh, stadium's already sold out like two days in advance. So it should be an awesome game on Thursday. Well, that's mainly for the student section, but yeah, it's definitely going to be very good when it comes to student for when it comes to turnout from FU fans. And and you are right, Zach. Like the first five games of conference play for FAU, they were all decided by four points. They all won those games by four points or less. So the margin was very very small for FAU in to start conference play. And ever since that North Texas win at home, they've been winning by a much comfortable margin. So it's pretty clear that they've learned from those early games in conference play and are starting to really take over with the, these past few games they've had against Western Kentucky on January 16th and then UTSA and UTEP. So it's definitely something they, that they should keep building on as they host Middle Tennessee on Thursday, January 26th at 7 p.m. And then, of course, Western Kentucky one more time this season uh, for the regular season on Saturday, January 28th at 4 p.m. So definitely best of luck to them. Hopefully they can extend the winning streak to like 20. Um, it, it would definitely be crazy, but hey, hey, if they can keep winning, keep doing it. And moving on from men's basketball, we have women's basketball. And while they've been up and down for the most part in conference play, they were able to get a, a home victory against UTSA last Thursday, uh, an 81-66 win, very convincing, but they couldn't uh, stay under, they couldn't keep it up as they lost to UTEP uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday, 79-78 in overtime. So I'm just wondering, uh, what should FU, what should the Lady Owls do to adjust as they head out on the road for this up for these for their next upcoming matchups? Well, based on the box sheet, it just seems like a majority of our points are coming off the bench. Um, and if they're not coming off the bench, then what happens is we usually have one girl carrying the load for the team in terms of scoring. I know in the first game in the win, Anaya Hubbard had 21 points. Uh, in the second game, I believe um, Joya Maddox had 26. So it seems like we're kind of relying on one person to kind of carry the load offensively. I'd like to see a little more team basketball uh, down the stretch. You know, we're playing a lot of these games extremely close, but if we could just have uh, one or two more players step up uh, in terms of scoring, it feels like we could win these games uh, in a more dominant fashion. Obviously, you know, you can never go into a night expecting someone to be their playing their best. So that's why you kind of rely on one another. But, you know, it, it's tough losing overtime by one point. But then again, you were coming off a near 20 point win the night before. So, I mean, or excuse me, two, three nights before. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can take and move forward with. There's still plenty of games left, especially against conference opponents. So um, we've seen some of these girls specifically have their moments to put up 20 plus any given night. Uh, you just like to see them put it more uh, as a team. Yeah, Zach's definitely right. And we kind of talked about this a little bit on the the last episode. Um, you can't, it, he's exactly right. They have like one person or one player like leading in points by like a wide margin every night. I think it was 
against UTEP. It was Joya Maddox off the bench who had like 20 plus, something like that. Yep. But that's that, that's a great performance, but that's not necessarily a good thing because a great offensive team is able to, you know, not necessarily ebb and flow throughout the game. They're able to kind of be consistent and throughout the game and that's kind of not their strong suit. So that's definitely probably also what I'd say I'd like to see them improve. But um, there, there's still plenty of conference play to write that and with the rest of the season. So definitely, yeah, some more team basketball I'd like to see out of them. Yeah, well, well, it I think it is a good thing for the women's team to at least have somebody scoring 20 points or more, at least one, at least one player. But when it comes to defense, I think it, it should definitely be much better, especially against uh, teams who have uh, similar records or better records than they do at the moment. Like for example, uh, their last game against UTEP, they, UTEP had a 13, has a 13 five record and a six and three, six and three in conference USA, which is better than FAU. So I'm thinking if they want to like be better than most teams in their conference, that they, they have to be a little more competent on defense if they want their offense to be as strong as it can be. And like, we've seen how they can do against uh, inferior opponents like UTSA who had a four, who has a four and 13 record two and six in conference USA. So I think it's just a matter of matching up to or playing better than what your level of competition is. Oh, like heading into the matchup. Like if, if it's a, a team with an inferior record, you should be obviously play better than them. But if it's a team with a similar or, somewhat better st- skill uh, than your own team you should really really uh, be much more like more tight with what you want to do like more for refined with your game plan and how you should uh like be more focused defensively and then have better shot selection as a whole so hopefully the women's can keep that in mind as they head out on the road to middle tennessee this thursday at 7 p.m and then western kentucky on Saturday at January 28th at 3 p.m. So best of luck to them, and hopefully they can get out of those road games with a couple of Ws. And moving up, and that will conclude our time with FU Sports. Now we head on to national sports, and we're going to start off with the NFL. The divisional round did pass this, did conclude this past weekend. Um, some were, two of them were convincing victories, and two of them were, well, meltdowns from certain teams. Especially the the Cowboys and the Bills. Well, well, I do want to look at the Cowboys game first because the NFL got to fix this. What is a catch rule? Because I think it's very unfair, especially at the end of the game where Schultz caught the pass. He had one foot inside first, but then the other the other foot lands outside. I I think to me I think that is unfair. And like if you at least catch the ball and then you land, then one of your feet lands first inside. But I think it should count. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but I think the NFL should take a look at uh, what their rules of what a catch should be and whether there should be more leniency toward players who are like who can't stop their momentum as they're catching the ball and, and as they're heading towards the out of bounds line. So I want to know your guys' thoughts on how the NFL should look at this, considering what happened between the Cowboys and 49ers. Well, I feel like the rule has always been what it has. Um, more so, I think this relies on Dalton Schultz, just a lapse of mental judgment, uh, given the time. You know, you're wide open. You're just not 
I guess, fully cognitively aware of where you are um, close to the sideline. But I mean, in instances like that, I feel like it shouldn't be detrimental to like a rule change. Um, I would say a more, um, like a closer catch that I would mind bringing it up was the Jamar Case, Jamar Chase touchdown catch. I think towards the second half of the Bengals-Bills game where Matt Milano knocked it out, like dude took three clear steps and then punched out. Like I, I'm i not really like big on like knocking it out that late. Like it was obviously a catch, it was obviously a touchdown, um, but the game was well out of reach. So I'm not really too upset about that. For the game itself, um, for the 49ers and Cowboys, you know, I've never been big on Mike McCarthy or Dan Quinn being championship caliber coaches, um, especially against the 49ers. But from what I've seen in this game, the 49ers look beatable. I know they're incredibly talented, but they're just not playing extremely clean football and they're not doing the right things to be a championship caliber team, you know? And I feel like this NFC uh, conference championship is going to be a great way of telling if they're built for the big lights, because if Brock Purdy's not going to be able to play a clean, great game of football, like he's played good. I'm not trying to undermine him. He's a rookie quarterback. I'm not trying to put a microscope too much on him, but if he doesn't play a great football game against this Eagles team, it's going to be rough and the Eagles are going to cakewalk to the championship. So that's kind of how I view the game. Um, obviously for the Eagles, they dismantle the Giants. Shame on the Vikings for making us think the Giants were competent. Um, that just, it's, it's a battle of frauds out in the NFC East, I guess. Yeah. Um, that, that uh, loss on the Cowboys that definitely comes down to coaching and the offense because he's right. That, that team looked beatable. They made several mistakes, and Brock Purdy has looked for what he was sold as, like Mr. Irrelevant, that seventh-round quarterback. He has looked great, but he, he has, like, you know, made some young guy mistakes, which isn't, like you said, isn't to shame him. He's a, he's a rookie quarterback in biggest game of his life. But, like, when um, – I think it was Ray Ray McLeod who fumbled that punt, left him on the 20 yard line. And then the first play in the red zone is a first down, leaving you with goal to go. You have to score in that situation. And that puts them up four, I think, if I'm not mistaken, late in the half. That's such a big momentum swing. And all you need to do is push the ball 15, 16 yards. You have, you have to come up and capitalize in that situation. And that falls on Dak and McCarthy, not in, not entirely Dak, but it, um, he's got to lead the offense into a touchdown in that situation when you're billed as the, you know, big money franchise quarterback guy. And it leaves them in a touch, tough situation because they're in this, like, purgatory of sorts because what, what, do, you, what do you do with, with Dak? You know, you don't, like, abandon him and roll with Cooper Rush, who's ceiling is an average not, – not to hate, his ceiling is just an average quarterback. So <laughs> – it's in, in, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I'm sure they're not in a great cap situation right now. They're either probably in the negative or not have much to spend at all. So they're in an odd situation. It, I'm not sure what you do, maybe sort of like a, philosoph a philosophy change of like how you're attacking. I'm not sure what you do, but um, it's, a, it's a tough beat for the Cowboys. Yeah, well, when we look at these, these divisional round, the divisional round, um, the Eagles being the Giants, it, well, it was very expected. Like the Giants already overachieved. They were already, they were pretty much playing with house money. They already took down the Vikings. Like they, Giants fans can live with the result because this season was very unexpected and 
particularly a very good one, especially for what they have going and definitely something that they should build on heading to the next season. So uh, no, there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to the Giants. They had a great season, overachieved the expectations, and really the Eagles, they just played a much better team in the Eagles who are, who I, I would say will be one of the Super Bowl team, the teams appearing in the Super Bowl. I do think they are much better than the 49ers, even though the 49ers have played very well and they have a, a great player in Christian McCaffrey, who was just, who the Cowboys just couldn't stop. So even though the Cowboys were pretty good defensively, the 49ers were as well. It was a pretty good defensive game. It was basically the, the offensive, it was basically the offense that really came to play. Um, like defining moments from the offense that came to play. And then the Cowboys, they just couldn't come through. Even though they had a, a blocked extra point from Brett Maher, even though he went out to make a two field goals, like he more than made up for it after struggling in the last game, it was Dak Prescott who really underperformed and let his team down. So it's definitely a lot of disappointment for the Cowboys and hopefully that they try to recover from that next season. But five or six years into the Dak Prescott project and they haven't appeared in one national, uh, one NFC championship game. That's tough. And as we look at the AFC, the, the AFC side of things, well, the Chiefs and Bengals, well, <laughs> part two, I guess, um, the Bengals uh, exposing the Bills as pretenders after, after the Bills struggled against a Miami Dolphins squad who were playing their third string quarterback in Skyward Thompson. That should have been a major red flag for the, for, for the Bills when it comes to the Bills. So the Bengals definitely took care of business there. And then the Chiefs, uh, they beat the Jaguars, even though the Jaguars put up a very good fight, only losing by one touchdown. Um, you know, <laughs> so as we look at these conference championship games, uh, what do you think would be the potential Super Bowl? Well, first off, I'd just like to hate on the Chiefs a little bit. Um, I was very upset watching this game. How do you only get one penalty called against you for five yards? Like, I get you. There's some things called playing clean football games. I completely understand that. But it just felt like it was impossible for the Chiefs to do wrong. Like, it just felt like the reps were very lenient and not throwing flags against them. Um, obviously, I thought the Chiefs were going to win outright anyway, but the Jacks had a chance to win that game. You know, they exceeded all expectations similarly to what the Giants did, but they had every right to be in that game. Um, also, Chris Collinsworth can – I swear he has an obsession with Patrick Mahomes. It's it's starting to bother me. Um, I almost had to mute my TV and watching it. It's unbelievable. Like, man, pump fakes and throws the pass away. And he's like, oh, my God, unbelievable play by Patrick Mahomes there. And then Trevor Lawrence throws a 70-yard dime, and Christian Kirk drops it. And he's like, and in the biggest moment, you overthrow him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, so just had to get that out of the way. As for the Bengals-Bills game, you know, Bengals showed up to play. Um, they, Joe Burrow with another classic one-liner, send those refunds, uh, classic, <laughs> doesn't get better than that. Bills exposed for the frauds they are. They're just relying on Josh Allen to carry a team with no run game and no offensive line and just one star receiver. Gabe Davis is a good number two, but I just mean, they, I feel like Josh Allen really overshadows the holes they have in their offense, but he also makes some mistakes. Like I've said, turnovers not playing the cleanest of football late down the stretch it's going to cost you championship games so you know the bills are going to have to do some deep soul searching within the offseason 
that they want to move forward in the future. Zach, I'm glad you brought up Chris Collinsworth because hearing him say King Patrick was was crazy. Um, but um, looking at the the Bills uh, Bengals game, you no matter how great or high powered your passing offense is, it's not going to be a fix for not having uh, or being able to establish a run game. And we should give credit to the Bills defense because they have one of probably the better defenses in the NFL. But, um, yeah, just disaster by Bills offense. Um, and they're, sorry, they're kind of in a similar situation, like I said, to the Cowboys, because what do you do? It's only going to get more expensive every year to, for Josh Allen. Same thing, his, um, the, the cap hit for Stefan Diggs is only going to get more expensive. And that's, like, the problem in the NFL when you're paying these um, quarterbacks such big money. It gets harder and harder to build around them. So, um not much they can do, but they have to figure out a way to establish the run game, either if they do that by somehow keeping it with a motor singletary and um James Cook or trying something else, but they, they have to figure out they can't just rely on Josh Allen to play hero ball because that's gonna lose you championship games because of the turnovers and just the bad side of the volatility that comes with it. So um yeah, but Looking at the next week, I still like the Chiefs. You know, they their offense is just so explosive, and they they figure out ways to do that without like throwing the ball over the top every play to Tyreek Hill. So I think the the um, Bengals, excuse me, will compete because Joe Burrow is legit. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He, he's going to get his team to compete, but. Um, I think this may be the game where the Chiefs figure out against the Bengals, but it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, pretty much. And I would think the Chiefs and Eagles would be the potential Super Bowl matchup. Uh, what would you what would you guys think would be the Super Bowl after this these conference championships? Well, there's a lot of narratives that I think would fit. Obviously, Chiefs, yeah, Chiefs, Eagles, you have Andy Reid facing his old team, um, blasting around to the Super Bowl. So that'd be an interesting topic to look at. Um, you know, for the 49ers side of things, they have been so close yet so far every year and to finally get it done with Mr. Relevant, it just seems like kind of storybook, but I just don't see it happening personally. Jalen Hurts completely stepping up as, as well as Nick Sirianni. You know, it feels like the Eagles have had a monumental step up uh, in terms of just how well they've been playing as a team. And, you know, no more to be said about the Chiefs. You know, they just seem like they – are going to be in the AFC championship every year, uh, just like the old Patriots dynasty. So they've kind of taken over as like the dynasty of the NFL. But when I look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals, it just seems like that underdog story always. I mean, I know they're 12 and four, but it just never seems like people really count on them to continuously win for some reason. Um, you know, he plays behind a middle school offensive line and somehow still gets passes off in under three seconds, always able to diagnose coverages. Their defense has been playing phenomenally. Um, Eli Apple continues to just play the villain role on social media. It's a, it's, I think the Bengals literally have him on the squad as like a Patrick Beverly. That's how I view Eli Apple. Um, so I'm, I'll always be rooting for them in that regard. But yeah, if I were to have it my way, I want Bengals Eagles. Um, but I feel like worst case scenario, we get a Chiefs 49ers. I like, um, I like the Chiefs. In this, like I just said, you know, 
their offense, and I just think this is the one. And then looking at um, other conference championship, I think I, I like to take the Eagles. It's like kind of like the easy pick, but Brock Purdy, he's been great, but he's like I said, he just made some mistakes that I think the Eagles defense is the one I think is going to catch him on those. That defense is just loaded with monsters. They've made the bright moves to get them there with the defensive line and then probably the best secondary maybe actually in the league. Um, I think this is just – it sucks because this um, this ride watching Purdy has been great. You know, like the last pick in the draft, and he's, you know, probably the best story in the NFL right now. But, um, yeah, I think this this might be the game he gets it's caught. So I'm going to say um, Chiefs-Eagles. Yeah, we'll see what happens uh, in this weekend, but it's definitely going to be a very fun one. And for our last topic of the day, we have the NBA. And while no trades have come about since, um, the Lakers did make a pretty significant trade. Uh, they sent out Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks to the Washington Wizards for Rui Hachimura. So my first thoughts, uh, like I, I first saw the announcement on Reddit. Like I was like, wait a minute, they, they actually did it? So I went on to Twitter, checked out Shams, and it was actually legit. And then I went on to Woj, also, he also said the same thing. So, <laughs> so it's definitely a very good pickup for the for the Lakers. They really needed to repair that front court depth that they were severely lacking, especially once Anthony Davis went down with his injury. And while he is coming back very soon, sometime this week, um, <laughs> man, they Kendrick Nunn. Well, it, it it's it's unfortunate to see it didn't pan out for him the way he thought it could especially when he first went there he thought he was going to be a very good spark plug off the bench and then the injury kept him out for a whole year and then he finally comes back and he's not what he once was when he was with during his first season with the Miami Heat so it just didn't pan out and while he was starting to gain some momentum the Lakers really needed to trade him for somebody who could really help them especially at the four spot because Rui Hachimura He's definitely very good offensively. He's good at shooting three ball, and which is something the Lakers really need right now because they need some consistency on the on the perimeter. And he definitely adds some adds some muscle and height in uh, on, on the depth chart. As he will definitely be useful for them as they try to make the playoffs. So I want to know your guys' thoughts on the Lakers making this trade and how does this help them improve for the rest of the season. Great trade for the Lakers. Um, obviously, you address the front court needs with the AD injury. You know, they don't have a lot of depth, so they need to kind of get everything they can if they want to view themselves as a playoff team. What I'm just curious about is, are the Wizards stuck, like Cameron said, in like a purgatory type of sense? Like, it just seems like they're <laughs> always trading for guys that are either on prove-it contracts or prove-it years. Uh, and they end up just getting shipped out. Like if they end up playing well, it's not like the Wizards can retain retain them if they play well. They just have to ship them out anyway. So they're always just stuck in this like limbo effect of bringing in guys, seeing if they'll work out. If they do work out, great. You trade them away. If not, <laughs> like you're stuck with another terrible guy in your roster. Um, and they let it they let go of a really quality player in Rui Hachimura. Um, so yeah, good on the Lakers. As for the Wizards, you know, I stuck in purgatory limbo, whatever you want to call it. They're it's sad. No, you're definitely right. It's like an endless 
rebuild in there. And I, I love Bradley Beal. He's, like, one of my favorite players. And it, it pains me to see, like, and waste uh, such a talented, like, scorer. His, like, his, it's just been, like, ever since John Wall left, it's just, like, such an unserious franchise all the time with everything they do. But um, look, looking at the Lakers side, it definitely is. It's, it's a great trade for them. Um, it doesn't, like, I want to say move their ceiling, like, like a gazillion, but a lot. But it, it definitely um, it definitely moves it up a, a good margin. And, and, and it's the, the, a good move for them to make looking at, like, where they are, like, that near 500 range at this point in the season. Um, that's definitely the right move for them. And um, I'd say that's it probably – I don't know. Either of them got, like, fleece, but I'd say they won that by – easily <laughs> well when i look at this trade i would compare it to when the celtics uh traded for Derek white last season like before before they made the trade they were like 50 50 but once they made the trade for him they went on a big winning streak and ended up with the second seed in the east so uh, even though i don't expect that to happen to the lakers like jumping all the way from where they are right now to the second seed in the west i don't think that's happening but i do think this improves their standing a lot considering what they are building, especially in their front court with Hachimura, with the addition of Hachimura. So I definitely think this pushes them up into the plans, but playing one of the playing spots at the very least, and at best the fifth or sixth seed in the West. So it's definitely a very good trade for the Lakers. And as for the ways that's, I don't know what they're doing. They like, they are in predatory. They are in limbo, like uh, Bradley Beal, I just don't know what he's doing. I understand he wanted the bag and he got his bag, like a big, big bag. But was it really worth it in the end if the Wizards are just going to be mediocre for the next couple of years? I, I just don't know if that if it was really the best decision besides the financial reasons, which I understand Bill making that con making the move for that contract. But when it comes to basketball reasons, no. Nah. Nah, I just don't get it. Though he made the wrong choice trying to stay with Washington. He could have at least went to South Beach. He probably would have been in a much better situation then. And then when we look at, while no trades have happened yet as to date, um, which team do you think should make a trade uh, before the trading deadline comes around? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I've been so fixated um... At the top, you know, teams are kind of in that phase where they feel like they're kind of buying all in. Like, I look at the Kings, but I don't really know what they'd move. You know, they seem like they're sitting at a comfortable spot. By the way, them not having a national television game for the rest of the year is a joke. I feel like the NBA schedule should be a lot more flexible in those terms. I feel like I don't think they have a national television game for the rest of the year, and they've been playing exceptionally well. Um, I don't know if they should make a trade. I feel like if they were to make a move, I don't know who exactly they'd move for. I don't know where their weaknesses really lies. Um, as for other teams that are just on the fringe, I mean, all the teams that are at the top, I feel like are set, like set in stone roster-wise. Like you look at the Celtics, solid. Uh, Nuggets, pretty solid. Out of the, Another team out of the East, I look at Brooklyn. Brooklyn doesn't need to do anything exceptional. So I, I don't know what needs to be made. I don't know what teams are going to, kind of go all in at this point because you're either you're either solid or you're not we're in that phase where teams have either solidified their championship rosters quote-unquote or they're still trying to put the pieces together 
Yeah, I can't really think of like one specific team, you know, that I'd be like, yeah, they have to make a move. If you would have asked me like a couple of days ago, I would have probably said like the Lakers, but like maybe I doesn't can't really say that now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like you, you said, maybe the Kings, because you don't know if they're going to be able with their how they're set currently right now, going to be able to like ride that for like the rest of the season. But moving anybody on that roster, I feel like would kind of just mess up any kind of potential moving forward because you don't have like that, you know, huge one star power on that team. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's I, I don't I don't really know who you, who who would like has to make a move right now because like you said, all the teams that you know, all like the contenders, they have their like their roster set and their guys. So I don't know, but it'll be interesting to watch uh, as we look at the trade deadline. Trade deadline. Yeah, definitely. And while I don't think the Lakers are done making trades yet, there's still a chance that they could get Cam Reddish from the New York Knicks, who who is obviously frustrated with his lack of playing time under Tom Thibodeau. Even though the, even though the Knicks are doing okay, they are on a four-game losing streak and are in the seventh seed, which is the playing spot. So although I do think they are still good enough to be in the plans, uh, I do think that the players that they aren't using right now, that they're just warming up the bench for uh, like Cam Reddish, I think they should really accept his request for his trade request and send it to a team who will play him. And the Lakers could be that team or the Miami Heat who might need some help re, like uh, adjusting their bench depth. And they would like a player like Reddish, who is athletic and who has, who has defensive talent and a good, who has good solid three-point shooting on most occasions. So it's either the Heat or Lakers when it comes to Cam Reddish. But, and then you have Evan Fournier, who is a good three-point shooter, that the sun that certain teams might need, especially if they are lacking in that department. And then you have the Indiana Pacers with Miles Turner and Buddy Buddy Heald. And we've seen the Lakers trying to get them early on in the season. I don't know if they're still interested in getting those two players in particular. But those two those two guys, they're they are definitely players that teams would want to go after before the trading deadline hits around. So it's just very interesting to see what is going on at the moment because only one trade has happened and that is between the Lakers and Wizards. So at the moment, we can't really say for sure, but it's definitely very interesting as we go forward. Yeah. Um, I'd say one team that kind of like slipped my mind, but the more I think about it, it just kind of makes sense. The Warriors are kind of always this championship team that we view as being stout heading into the playoffs. You know, I think they're like second worst in the league in terms of defensive, defensive efficiency. Um, if they did, make a move you know they have a lot of offensive firepower that they could trade out you know I think Otto Porter Gary Payton haven't really panned out as much as they like Jermichael Green as well um you know if they are going to make a move I could see possibly bringing in a big man Jacob Podol um you know he'd be a good size to bring in especially as a backup big man I don't know if they want to ship out James Wiseman he hasn't really panned out this year uh as much as you'd like to see so that's a team I could also see making a move as well you brought up, uh, Rich, you brought up the Heat, and thinking about them, I just feel like any type of move they make will be, like, so underwhelming because, like, in the past two off-seasons, they've been built as a team who's, like, all in on making that huge move. It was, like, Donovan Mitchell, I think. Yeah. A lot of talk about him last season. So any any move they make is going to – it 
just going to be so underwhelming. And um, they've improved, but that's another team that um, I'm, I'm not sure what move they make that would move their ceiling higher or just improve the team that much more than where they are now. Um, but uh, like Zach said, I think um, the Warriors might be an interesting team because this, this he's right. This is just not a position you've seen them at really ever. So um, there's, there's definitely a bunch of teams that could potentially make that move here soon. Yeah, and we won't know for sure until they make those trades, but we'll see which teams make a, a spectacular trade and which teams make a, a terrible trade. So it's definitely going to be very fun to see what which teams do those type of trades. So <laughs> definitely can't wait for those. With that, that'll be it for this episode of You Press Play Sports. Make sure to hit like and subscribe. Click the bell to keep up with notifications from us. Also be sure to go on upressonline.com to keep up with news, sports, and more content alike. To follow us on Twitter, it's for me, at Rich26Pereira, for Cameron, at PriesterCameron, and for Zach, at ZachWatts1 underscore. Thanks for watching, everybody, and have a great day.